This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. We've got a great guest today. We are talking all about cars, and we're coming out of Detroit with Jeremy Dimmick, Director of Collections at Detroit Historical Society. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Good, good, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you being on the show today. And the reason I reached out to you is I've never been to the Historical Society, and I really want to go now that I've seen all the cool cars that are there. Uh, there's two particular cars that drew my eye, and I was, I guess I was just kind of surfing. And I'll get to those cars in a second. But if you could kind of give us an overview of the Detroit Historical Society and a little bit more specific on the collection of cars. The Detroit Historical Society operates the... Detroit Historical Museum uh, and the Dawson Great Lakes Museum out on Detroit's Belle Isle. Um, and we have, um, you know, the the museums are really just like your local history museum, except it happens to be for a, a city that uh, got fairly big. Um, so our collection kind of mirrors the history of Detroit and everything in the collection has to have a strong connection to Detroit in one way or another. Uh, we have 250,000 objects altogether, and uh, about 70 of those are automobiles, because obviously you can't accurately depict the history of Detroit without having a car collection. So we, we have that, too. Our cars are, um, you know, not this maybe not the ones you'd expect. They were, they're, they were and are, I guess, cars uh, manufactured in the Detroit style of manufacturing, which is like a really fancy way to say that they're uh, mass-produced Detroit-built cars. And, you know, we say that as kind of our mission statement, but even within that, we have a, a handful of prototypes and one-of-a-kinds and kind of specialize in Detroit-built orphan cars, uh, even though we have representation from the big three, you know, mostly. But I think one of the real strengths of our collection, as opposed to other car collections in Michigan and kind of across the country, is that um, we have a handful of cars, uh, you know, maybe a dozen, that are just kind of like snapshot cars. Like if you took a took an informal survey of everything that was on the road in a given time, we have a lot of those cars. For example, we have an 88 uh, Ford Taurus prototype. And it's like, well, you know, what? what's the big deal about the Ford Taurus? It's not a terribly sexy car or anything like that. But, you know, you take a snapshot of the road in the early 90s, and there's an awful lot of Ford Tauruses on the road. So they're uh, kind of representational of a time and a place. And they're cars that aren't getting collected in other collections. Um, most most collections focus on exotic things or, or expensive things, sporty things. Um, but, you know, there aren't a lot of Ford Taurus collections out there, at least that I know of. So um, these things are in danger of disappearing when they're a really accurate representation of what people actually drove on a day-to-day basis. Right. Yeah, I'm looking on your website here, and you can see more if you go to the collections and in the search term type automobiles. And, for example, to your point, is a 1984 Fiero. Right. Those are cool little rear-engine or mid-engine cars, and... They, they really don't have value to be collectibles, but people still kind of collect them because they're so quirky. But it's really hard to find an original uh, 1984 Fiero that hasn't been uh, through the ringer, so to speak, right? Yeah, exactly. Got the Lamborghini uh, conversion kit and uh, 
<laughs> you know, not even like a Lamborghini. <laughs> right, right. Now, what are some of the rarer cars in the collection? Because I know there's quite a few. Well, there's a couple that are kind of the headliners. Uh, the first one uh, is we have a, a 1963 uh, Ford Mustang II prototype. And it's, you know, obviously, you know, famously the first year of Mustang production is 64 and a half. Um, so how do we have a 63? Uh, the Henry Ford Museum down the road in Dearborn uh, actually has the very first, you know, the Mustang experimental sports car. That's really this, uh, you know, far out kind of thing that was never meant to be a production car. Uh, but this car toured the country and, um, you know, got everybody really excited about buying Ford. So it did its job. But then when Ford was set to make the actual production car, they were a little worried that people were going to have this experimental sports car in their mind um, and then go to the dealership and see the production car. So our car comes in uh, where they took a production car and modified it essentially to look more like this experimental sports car. So it's kind of this hybrid between the production and the prototype um, that has features stylistically from both but is more uh, more geared toward the production model. So I always say it's like a story of managing expectations, basically. it's It has the 289 engine. It, um, uh, from the production car, it has kind of the overall look of the production car, even though it carried over the paint scheme from the experimental sports car, the uh, 2x2 seating, and a handful of other things, removable hardtop. And uh, yeah, it's this really, really unique car. It's the first, you know, the first appearance of the running horse Mustang emblem on a vehicle is in our collection, which is a pretty cool thing. And that one got out quite a bit a couple of years ago for the 50th anniversary of the Mustang. We showed that pretty extensively. The, the other one that's kind of the, I say the other one, there's, there's a handful, but we have a 1935 Stout Scarab. Bill Stout uh, got his start in aircraft engineering and actually operated the first um, really kind of long-term viable uh, commercial airline in Michigan. Uh, he gets credit for uh, designing the and kind of perfecting the Ford trimotor uh, airplane and really the trimotor engines as well. Um, well, he got bought out, got a buyout from Ford and then started his own experimental car company. Um, and he did most of his work out of Dearborn and was really still tied in, uh, with Ford quite a bit, but he designed this car, um, called the Scarab in 1935 that had a rear mounted Ford V8 engine. Uh, and everything was kind of done to this car, uh, with the idea of passenger comfort in mind as opposed to any kind of engineering by hazard to say quality standards but <laughs> right. it he you know that passenger comfort was his chief concern and so he moved the engine to the rear um it was the first example or one, you know one of the first examples of unibody construction on any kind of scale he um with his background in aircraft engineering he uh really modeled the car um, like the fuselage of an airplane. So it had this kind of skeletal structure, tubular structure, that then um, aluminum panels were welded onto. And it's really neat. The passenger cabin actually sits down inside the suspension uh, instead of on top of the suspension. And so he tells this story in his autobiography where he and his son drove from Detroit to Los Angeles while they were showing off the car with a glass of water on their dashboard and never spilled it. Wow. As the ride was, you know, so comfortable from sitting down inside the suspension as opposed to on top of it. Um, but it's really neat. It kind of looks like a, it's, you know, part minivan, it's part, uh, VW bug. It's, um, 
it's really pretty cool. Um, so if, yeah, you uh, look on our site and, and see it or even just Google Stout Scarab, it's a pretty far out vehicle. The, the Probably the coolest thing about it is that it uh, none of the seats are fastened down in the passenger compartment. So uh, the, the rear bench seat could be pulled out and moved around. There was a fold down table. The only seat that was fastened to the to the floor of the car was the driver's seat. Everything else was kind of um, reconfigurable. So it's a, a pretty neat example of, um, at that time, you know, the idea, the fluid idea of the automobile still at that point is still up in the air. It hadn't really landed yet. I'm looking at your technical drawing, and that is pretty crazy. It just looks like you could kind of have your own little living room on wheels where, you know, four people in the back could talk to each other face yeah. to face. And then yep. the driver in the front. That is really, really cool. Yeah, so you have the actual vehicle there? Yeah. Yep. Um, and we have two. Um, we have a 35 uh, that belonged to the Wrigley family from Chicago, um, and they used it to get from their mansion on Lake Michigan uh, to the beach and back, which is you know a pretty good gig if you can get it. Uh, we had a 35, and then we actually have a 45 as well, and it was a a 35 stair, scarab that Stout uh, took and completely stripped down, and instead of an aluminum body, put a fiberglass body on it. And this car is a little more contemporary looking, I guess, with other things that were out at the time. Um, not that they were building cars in 45, but, you know, with the idea of automobile design in 45. And uh, that's a that's a pretty interesting uh, car as well. That um, you know, with uh, the Corvette, you know, just a couple years away, uh, we actually just loaned it to the National Corvette Museum as kind of one of these uh, Corvette forebears with the production of a fiberglass body. So, yeah, a, a neat thing, too, is we got a lot of the mechanical drawings that you can see through our website as well in with this donation from the Stout family. And you get to see all the crazy stuff that Bill Stout was into as far as his aviation career, too, and kind of really outside-the-box thinking as far as um, aviation is concerned and um, his, oh boy, his kind of uh, idea about democratizing aircraft travel, I guess. He came up with this idea called the Stout Sky Car, which he equated to a Model T for airplanes. Um, you know, it was going to be a personal aviation device that everybody could own. And we have this uh, really neat uh, wooden model of it in our collection, too. It's just uh, pretty far out stuff. Yeah, the Stout is pretty cool. And it's a great name, the Stout Scarab. Yeah. Uh, or the, or is it the Scarab Stout? <laughs> yeah, Stout Scarab, yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and for our listeners, you know, it almost looks like, a, in my mind, almost like a Cessna airplane. You just cut off the cut off the propeller and pull off the wings and pull off the tail and it's kind of what you got so you can kind of definitely see the aeronautic background and the design of it which is really really cool yeah definitely. yeah i would like to go back and talk about the mustang for a second so i'm a huge mustang fan and the mustang club mustang judge and all that kind of stuff okay. and it is really cool when was the last time that that was on the road and driven boy not that long ago um you know i mentioned before that that one you know got out on loan pretty regularly a couple years ago for the 50th anniversary and uh because of that it just became a heck of a lot easier to have that thing run as opposed to you know winching it onto trailers and off of trailers and getting it around on showgrounds and stuff like that so yeah that one's run fairly recently you know out of all the cars in the collection that one's on the on the end of the spectrum that's uh you know, running. There's some that'll never run again, of course, they're just kind of paperweights at this point. And then there's others that, you know, could be uh, made runnable with a little bit of work. But yeah, that one, um, oh boy, within the last year, that one's run. 
Okay. Yeah. For our, our listeners, it's pretty cool because it has, like you said before, a 289 engine. But I'm looking at the pictures and it has a dual carb setup. And the air cleaner looks like one from one of the galaxies, but it has almost like a, a custom made uh, top on it. Uh, which is pretty cool. So that's neat. Have you ever driven the car yourself? Yeah. Yep. I have. Um, it's, you know, the, you're, you mentioned the top and yeah, it was, uh, chopped and lowered, uh, a little bit. And the, you know, the, the seats are, are smaller, I guess, than, or lower than production seats. And, you know, I'm not a very tall guy, but even, you know, me sitting in there, I'm looking right at the top of the windshield. It kind of had to hunch down to, <laughs> wow. to see through the actual windshield. But, um, yeah, it's, um, it would have been a lot of fun to, you know, actually drive it, drive it and, you know, kind of see what it could do. But, uh, you know, obviously we're not, uh, we're not going to try that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I also like the fact on the side, it has the scallop side with the, it has a, actually had a five piece ornamentation on the side where in 66, that became a three prong, not a five prong, a three prong in 66, whereas the prototype has a five prong. So it's cool to see the very early, influences that would eventually make it into the production model i must say it's really a cool car but i'm i'm glad they continue to uh enhance the design aspect of it <laughs> right <laughs> I, I like the production front end and rear end a little bit more than the than the pre-production one so that's really yeah. cool yeah two cars you haven't mentioned yet that got my attention and i can't honestly remember how or why but they're the two <clears throat> little roadster convertibles that are based on ac cobras sure could you tell about tell us about those two yeah, so um, there's a coupe and a convertible. Essentially, the coupe is a 63. It's called the the Ford Cougar II. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, Greg, they, they started off as Cobras um, that were stripped down. Uh, the engine was taken out. And the chassis essentially was used as a platform um, for Ford design engineers to, you know, stretch their legs stylistically and just kind of come up with whatever they wanted to come up with. So the first one um, has a lot of 63 Corvette in it. Uh, actually, you know, it's got the fastback. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful paint scheme, uh, kind of the burgundy with real mother of pearl in the lacquer paint and uh, silver top. And a lot of, you know, it's fully instrumented, but before it was donated to the museum, the engine was removed. And uh, from, you know, what we've been able to research, it actually only ever had a block in it just to hold the front end down. Um, so it looked like it had an engine in it. Um, There's never actually an engine in it. So that one's really neat. Um, I know that, you know, the, the story about that one that always comes to mind is the the rear glass is so big they they were worried that at speed there would essentially be so much pressure inside the cabin if the car were ever made runnable that it would blow the glass uh, right out of the back um, with the wind <laughs> coming in the windows and so there's this uh, what they called a pressure relief panel um, on the back in between the essentially where the rear deck would be even though there isn't room for a rear deck um, between the taillights and the back of the rear windshield um, that would pop up, you know, at a certain speed and let the, let the air out the back. But yeah, that's a, that's a pretty fascinating car. And that one is in, it's in great shape and uh, really neat too, uh, just because of its name, you know, it's the Ford Cougar instead of the Mercury Cougar. Um, and I believe, you know, they started manufacturing the Mercury Cougar the next year in 64. Yeah. That one's really cool. That's all unrestored. Is that correct? The yeah. Original paint. Yeah. It's yep. like a dark maroon. Is that how you would describe the paint color? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah. That one's really neat. And if you go on the website and check it out, your poor uh, Cougar, emblems missing its head unfortunately yes. <laughs> but but uh it's cool because that was 
a precursor to the Mustang too. It wasn't the Mustang a potential uh, the potential name for the Mustang was Cougar. Yeah, and Ford, you know, you see that pop up in a lot of Ford's experimental things. You know, just like you know, uh, Buick always seemed to use Wildcat or something like that for all of their experimental stuff, and Cougar just seemed to be the the go to kind of Ford experimental name. And then the sister car to that in our collection is. Uh, a 65 that was essentially the same design, except it was a convertible instead of a coupe. Um, and uh, Eugene Bordenay, Ford designer, was kind of instrumental in the design of, of this one. It's kind of a, I don't know what color you'd call it, maybe a almost an olive green uh, with a black interior. But uh, same thing, started as a Shelby Cobra, was stripped down, and then, um, yeah, uh, used as a platform for a styling exercise. No engine ever in it, still doesn't have an engine, just a block to hold the front end down. Uh, but that one is uh, completely uh, original as well, and uh, unlike the Cougar, wasn't maintained nearly as well. I think the Cougar, before it came to the museum, was shown much more often than the uh, Bordenay Cobra was, uh, because this one, it's kind of a, a warts and all original uh, as opposed to a you know beautifully preserved pristine original. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful car to look at. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that on the coupe I mentioned I thought it was two convertibles, but yeah, a coupe and a convertible. On the coupe, you still have the at least you have a picture of the engine block online, which is pretty cool. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, are there any other cars in the collection that you would like to mention? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a handful with some pretty great stories. I mean, along the lines of the you know '88 Ford Taurus, you know, we have an '80 '84 Chrysler minivan too in the collection. Again, same idea. Yeah, we we also have a, a 1905 uh, Cadillac. Uh, it's called the Osceola, and essentially this car gets the credit for being the first Cadillac with an enclosed body. Um, up to this point, you know, of course they were all open cars. Um, and it belonged to Henry Leland, the founder of Cadillac, and then you know went on to be instrumental in the creation of Lincoln Motors as well. But it's a really, really, if you you know, it should be next to the term "horseless carriage" in the dictionary. It is really a, a carriage body, you know, mounted on an automobile frame, and it's really something to look at. The it's a really early Fisher uh, body, uh, wood Fisher body that was created at a time where Fisher was building, you know, car bodies and wagons, uh, simultaneously, you know, in the same plants a lot of the time, but really early Fisher body, which is, you know, a cool intersection of two kind of Detroit automobile stories, the Fisher body story and Cadillac motor story. Yeah, it's, that's a cool one to have. We also have, um, you know, a handful of cars related to other automobile people. We have, uh, Henry Joy, uh, president of Packard, we have his 1916 uh, Packard Twin Six. Um, we actually have his wife's car as well, Helen Newberry Joy, which is a, a Anderson Detroit Electric in 1914. We have Lee Iacocca's uh, 74 Lincoln Continental, speaking of the Mustang. That car, boy, is is a boat. I mean, they, they didn't really get much bigger than that. Also, if you, you Google our cars, they, they're kind of... I don't know, famously or infamously known as the Detroit bubble cars. And the bubbles we store them in, you know, you can only get them in certain sizes. Um, And the two-door Lincoln Continental that was Lee Iacocca's is really pushing the bounds of the storage bubble we have. (laughs) Right. Uh, We actually just recently took a... Uh, 1980 Cadillac Fleetwood limo that belonged to Detroit Mayor Coleman Young. And the Continental is longer, actually, than the 1980 uh, 
Fleetwood limo, which is <laughs> pretty fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, a handful of other things. We have a, a Model T. A, you know, if you have a Model T, you better have a story that goes with it. But um, we have this Model T that, according to the original donor, um, you know, wanted to, or the family of the original donor, uh, this guy wanted to gift it to his son-in-law. And his son-in-law had said, well, no, I, I don't really want the car. I'm going to part it out and use the parts for a hot rod. And the original owner said, well, you're not going to do that. I'd rather bury it in my backyard. So it's the 19-teens in Detroit, and there's a lot of room up around kind of the, the northwest side of town. And um, so he supposedly buried this car in his, in his field, uh, the original owner. And so this became this urban legend in Detroit where there was supposedly a Model T buried up somewhere off of Seven Mile Road. Um, and it uh, nobody really knew if it was true. It was always a story until the 1960s and WJR, uh, the big radio station here in town, or one of the big radio stations here in town, got a hold of it. And this local um, radio personality named Bud Guest started taking calls on the air, uh, trying to track this rumor down and see if it was actually true. And, you know, lo and behold, they found this car buried in what was now a subdivision in on the northwest side of town. Ford Motor Company got involved and they excavated the car um, and dug it up. And then it was in such rough shape after being buried for about 50 years that Ford completely restored it. So now it just looks like a Model T, but it um, kind of couldn't be displayed in the condition it was excavated in. Um, <laughs> right. So, right. you know, that's a that's a pretty neat one, too. All right. Well, that's really neat. Well, one thing I like to do at the end of this is to play a little game. I told you that we were going to play a game, but I didn't tell you exactly what it was. Right. <laughs> so it's called Keep, Cash, and Crush. So I'll give you three cars. It's meant to be painful. And you tell me which one you want to keep forever, which one you want to cash in, and then which one you don't mind sending to the crusher. Or you do mind, but you have no other choice and you have to send okay. it to the crusher. Gotcha. So the three cars I'll give you will be the 1963 Mustang prototype. Okay. That's a, this is really painful. I don't know if I've been this mean before. Uh, <laughs> the next one will be the 1963 Ford XD Cobra prototype. Now, let's keep these as is, and you're the guy that knows the most about these. So okay. you said that one was rougher shape. Obviously, an engine block doesn't run. Right. And then the last one will be the coupe version that you said was in better shape, the maroon Ford Cougar 2 prototype. Uh, again, doesn't run engine block in the front so those are your three cars which one would you keep forever which one would you cash in and which one would you crush oh man um you know as a as an employee of the society i'd have to go to my board of course to make any of these decisions <laughs> <laughs> of course of course <laughs> of course but uh yeah in the spirit of the game here i think probably for cat you'd probably get your best return on investment i would say on that mustang prototype um I think that even though the the Cougar two you know might have some traction too, so I think I'd have to say cash for the the sixty three Mustang two. Uh, I'd probably keep the Cougar two and um, you know uh, of course go through the formal deaccessioning process that we need to do for it to <laughs> you know be legit with uh, our museum collections policy and all that. But uh, yeah, and then unfortunately, the uh, the Bordenay XD Cobra, I think, would would have to be the last one there. The last one. I, you don't have to say it. The last yeah. one you'd have to crush. <laughs> Too painful. Yeah, I like to say. Too painful. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I appreciate you picking those. I, that's a good good pick. You know, Mustangs are, I think the Bullet Mustang sold from a 
$4 million. So one of these, you know, pre-production prototypes would probably be $10, $15 million, something insane for sure. So now what's the, what's your favorite car in the collection? If you, if you could just drive one all afternoon or have one in your garage, which one is your favorite? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, um, we have, uh, you mentioned the 84 Fiero, uh, we have an 86 Firebird in the collection too. And when I started, I was like, holy cow, this is like a a ghost of cars past for me. So I (laughs) had an 84 Fiero and an 86 Firebird. Um, that's cool. But yeah. Um, but the, uh, boy, I don't know the, that Cougar two is, is pretty darn cool. And it's, it's really, uh, and the pictures don't even really do it justice. It's, it's a really, really neat car, but the boy, just for kind of the novelty of it. Uh, I think the Detroit electric would be really cool to have too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the inside is just like no other car. It's kind of a, um, Almost like a par- uh, parlor, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a circular shaped passenger cabin um, with you know the tiller instead of the steering wheel. It's just um, you know obviously you'd turn heads in either the Mustang or the or the Cobra, but um, yeah, that Detroit Electric is is something kind of out of this world. Yeah, we do have a local one of those running around that's unrestored and rough, but no it kidding. still runs around. <laughs> oh my gosh, because <laughs> they're like a hundred years old, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, counting, I guess. But yeah, now are the three cars that I had in Keep Cash Crush? Are those when you reopen? Are those available to the public to view, or is it kind of as they rotate through the exhibit? Yeah, it'll be as they rotate through. Um, we um, actually have uh, kind of limited space in the museum proper for the automobile collection, um, so we have some rotating space that uh, twice a year we bring a new car out on display and have there. Currently we have our uh, Chrysler Airflow, 34 Chrysler Airflow out. The next one through there is actually going to be a, a 24 uh, Hup uh, Roadster that we have. So yeah, uh, these are currently available, you know, whenever you want to look them up online, but unfortunately um, can't see them in person until we rotate them onto display. You know, being that too, since we have um, such limited space, we try to loan them out as much as possible too. So uh, we do get them out for events and that every now and then, but yeah, uh, unfortunately, at least right now, you'll have to see them online. Okay. And then what is the update as it relates to COVID for the museum? Right. Yeah. Well, we've, uh, we're looking to open sometime in the middle of July. Uh, I don't think an, uh, an official date has been announced yet, but, um, you know, looking at all kinds of different ways to have, uh, safely have people in the building. So we'll be looking at time ticketing and directional kind of pass through the galleries, all that, that a lot of, uh, a lot of different institutions are looking at, but yeah, we're, we're excited to reopen and welcome people back into the buildings and it'll be excited to kind of take that next step back toward, you know, normalcy, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Okay, cool. Now what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about the museum and see these pictures we talked about? Yeah. Uh, the website, DetroitHistorical.org. And then you can find the online collection, which has the cars we were talking about, uh, kind of all of the associated ephemera and uh, probably about 50,000 other things through the collections tab. So through DetroitHistorical.org, there's a collections tab. You click on that and then you can just click search the collection uh, and it works just like a Google search. You can look for anything you like. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.